Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We've been in this series talking about uh, blueprints of faith. James is, a, is, the, is the letter that really uh, doesn't hold anything back. Laura and I were talking about this this week. James will throw a punch, and he will throw a punch hard. He, uh, he, will, he basically comes to the point to say, this is what it looks like to live out by faith. We've looked at uh, uh, several things during this time as we've looked at this. We've talked about that we're going to face trials, we're going to have persecution, those types of things. We've talked about our attitude towards the, the Word of God. We've talked about what it looks like to serve. And so today, uh, James is going to give us this picture of distinctions of genuine faith. He's going to help us understand what somebody who has a genuine faith looks like. And he's also going to help us understand what someone who doesn't have a genuine faith looks like. And so um, that's where we're going to be, James chapter 2 this morning. And so here's what I want you to do. As we think about this, I, I want you to kind of post this and think about this. When you, uh, when we used to, and some of you may still get a, a daily paper, but we used to have a daily paper and it was funny. I would ask people from time to time, what do you look at first in the, in the paper? And it was funny, some, a lot of people would say, I look at the obituaries. Uh, I want to make sure my name's not there. I'm like, if you're reading it, you know, doubtful your name's there. I mean, anybody want to confess that the obituaries are the first place you look in the paper when you, if you get one or had one? Now, we have a few who do that. Um, I, I, I'm not that, I don't, I never thought that, that I, I, I had to do something a little more theological. I had to go to the comic section. You know, I, I wanted to read the comics. Several years ago, somebody put this comic illustration out. Looks like this. It's uh, the light church, and it's a church. And then in the back of the back, out, out front of the church was this billboard. And you can't read it, so I'm gonna put it on the screen here, uh, just to say. Go ahead, switch my slide for me. Thank you. Here's the light church. 24% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5% tithe. 15-minute sermons. We're not there here. Uh, and 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments, your choice. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium, everything you've wanted in a church and less. I thought it was funny, uh, especially, you know, because that's my world is, is to talk about church. But that came out several years ago, and what has happened over the years is that's become more true than it is funny. We've seen, we've seen a lot of, of things happen in the church, and it's just really become the light church, as the comic strip said. A, a place where fewer commitments are made. In fact, in many churches... You have to have a stronger commitment to the gym than you do to the church. Because you at least have to pay for your membership at the gym, whether you go or not. 
the church, well, you, you may, may give a tithe, may not give a tithe. You, you know, you, you've got a larger commitment to, somebody's calling me. I don't think that's God, I hope. He may be, um, sorry, that normally is on silent. And if that happens again, it'll throw me. Um, some places we have bigger commitments. Gymnasiums, Sam's Club, we get pay our dues for Sam's Club, than we do the church. James this morning points out this commitment level for us as genuine Christians. He, he reminds us that as genuine believers, there are some distinctives about how we live our life. And unfortunately in our world, that's not the case. Unfortunately, in our world, we've lost some of that. So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, would you stand as we read God's Word? Fourteen. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, it is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And you see that person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works? in receiving the messengers and sending them out a different route. For just as the body without spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You may be seated. This morning what I want us to see in this text is just that, that genuine faith is active. Anything outside of that is is a mess. So here's the first point, you see it, it's genuine faith is active. We come to this place in this text and James gives us a, a very real scenario of what could happen about someone in need, somebody who needs something, something had happened and he gives us this real scenario that somebody would just say, hey, go, go, go be fed. We hope you, we hope you are well taken care of. Go in peace. But the problem with that is, those are just words. Those are just words. They don't really mean anything. Those are just 
those are just excuses that somebody would give. There's no activeness in that. Genuine faith is active. It's active in recognizing what needs to happen. It's active in understanding what God calls us to do and then doing it. It's active. But we live in a world, and James was acknowledging that world in his day, that people were not active in their faith. They were just making statements. Statements that really mean nothing. In fact, let me... Let me put, say it this way. Claiming faith is no faith. Did you get that? Claiming faith is really no faith. I can claim a lot of things. I can claim my, the ability to, to hit a home run every time I get to the plate. And if you're from some other foreign land that doesn't understand baseball, you might believe me. But if you have any knowledge of baseball, you know that's not true. Claiming faith. We live in a world where more people claim faith than they're active in their faith. Here in our county, we have 44,000, 46,000 people that live here and only 6,000 people before COVID went to church. I've asked them to redo, I'm hoping they're redoing those numbers because what we've learned from COVID is that people have left the church because they weren't active in their faith. They're sitting at home and they found something else better to do. So their opinion states. They're sitting home thinking, hey, let's just go to lunch. Let's skip that. We weren't, we weren't that involved. We weren't that committed to begin with. We found something better because COVID shut us down. That's claiming faith. Listen, and that has no faith. We watch that all the time unfold. And, and here's the thing. These people that James is talking to, you're just using words and it makes no difference in anybody's life. In the same way here, parents want their children to come to know Christ, but yet they are living a life with no faith themselves. They're claiming faith, but there is no faith. And when you have claiming faith, it changes nothing. Claiming faith changes no one. Changes no one. Go ahead there, Anita. It didn't change anyone. Listen, the person in James's text, go go be well, be fed. That person didn't help them. James is out going, you didn't make a difference in that person's life just by using those words. A person who would make a difference does something is active. Claiming faith changes no one. You can claim something all day long and it doesn't change anyone until you put it in active actions. James is pointing out very clearly here that faith, genuine faith is active. Now, the second thing I want you to catch in our text this morning is genuine faith is evident. Is evident. In other words, it is noticed. It can be seen. It makes a difference. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, if you're a sports fan. 
um, Fernando Titus of the um, San Diego Padres uh, was found this week, uh, came out I think Friday, came out that um, he had used performance enhancing drugs and so they suspended him for 80 games. One of the highest suspensions that they, they offer, 80 games, uh, and, and just so, so you know it does hurt him a little bit, he loses $1.39 million. That's a little pocket change. Um, but here was his statement. I'm disappointed. I let my team down. I take full responsibility. Well, the, the GM has come out with his own statement. The GM of the Padres says, listen, at some point, you got to take action. At, at some point, you've got to take responsibility. You, you've got to own up. Words doesn't matter. There's been some other issues there, and it's, the GM is basically saying, listen, we're waiting for you to grow up. Actions speak louder than words. Parents, have you ever said that to your children? Actions speak louder than words. James basically says that in this text. Because genuine faith is evident. Those actions is evident. Now, let me give you a couple things, three things I think help when we're talking about evident. First one is, you speak God's word. If you want your genuine faith to be evident, you begin to speak God's word. Now that doesn't, what I mean by that is not that you're standing on a public square reading the Bible so people can hear you, but your language, your words are, are peppered with God's word. One of the reasons why we ask you to memorize scripture is because when you memorize scripture, it comes out. In your language it's a part of who you are you begin to have conversations and you can help people in need you can remind yourself what God's Word says otherwise it's just your opinion but if you want your genuine faith to be evident in people's life you begin speaking God's Word and when they begin to hear that God begins to hear that your faith will be evident to people around you And think about that. If you stood before God today, if God called you home, and you were standing before him, and he looked at you and says, apart from your attendance in church, what evidence do you have that I should let you in that you love my son Jesus? Think about that. What could you give him? What evidence is there in your life apart from attendance in church? And let's, let's be honest. A church service doesn't save you. You can still die and go to hell coming to church every Sunday. So if God says, what evidence can you give me? What would you say? Well, one is you would speak God's word. You could, you could say, God, I'm, I hid your word in my heart. I proclaimed your word. Second thing is, I would tell you is, you tell others about God. 
There's an evidence that you love God because you keep proclaiming him to other people. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I wish they'd write a song about that somewhere. Let me tell you how he saved. Let, let me tell you what God can do in your life. Let me, let me give you some insight. You tell people. You have conversations about who God is. You, you, you meet people and you look for opportunities to speak God's word into their heart. You tell others about it. And the third one I would tell you is you serve for the glory of God. You don't serve for getting anything out of your own personal gain. You serve for God's glory. I mean, there are things in my life that I've done that I've served that, that hey, it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but it was for the glory of God. It was for the glory of God. I wanted God to be known. And that meant if I needed to help over here for somebody to see See, God, that's what I'd do. I mean, think about it. If Jesus was willing to serve, what makes us think that we can't serve? And, and let's just be honest. Jesus did the thing that nobody else wants to do. Remember that night? The disciples in the upper room and they taking the Lord's Supper. Jesus, Jesus gets down on the ground. And washes the feet of the disciples. Think about that. I mean, how many of you want to wash somebody else's feet? And, and, and in our day and time, we wear socks and shoes. And their, their day and time, they didn't. I'm not even sure they had toenail clippers. Who knows? Well, what they did, a rock? Jesus got down and, and did that. You serve for the glory of God. And James speaks here and says, genuine faith is evident. Genuine faith is evident. Here's, here's what I want you to see in verse 18. Verse 18 says this. But some of you say, I have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. James is pointing this, this moment out. Now, Martin Luther called uh, James the, the epistle of straw because he thought uh, James and, and Paul were combating one another. Because Paul says, you're saved by, by faith, and James is saying, hey, but where's your works? And the truth of the matter is, James has no argument with Paul. He's not having a conversation here about your justification and how you came to know Christ. He's having a conversation of what it looks like when you come to know Christ. And the thing is, real faith has action. Real faith has action. If you come to a place in your life, in genuine faith, it's going to have action. It's going to make a difference. People are going to see it, and you will come to that place. And you will understand that. But then he says in verse 19, catch this. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. James reminds them, 
You can claim to have faith. But what you claim, the demons also claim. If you notice, when we read the Gospels, we find Jesus encountering people who are demon-possessed. And from time to time, the demons acknowledge who Jesus is, but long before anybody else does. They know he's the Son of God. They know who he is. They, they know him. They have knowledge of him. And genuine faith has evidence. Real faith takes action. But here's what I want you to catch. Demonic faith takes no action. Demonic faith takes no action. The demons even believe. But they took no action. They didn't, they didn't come out and go, oh, we, miss, we, we were misinformed. They took no action. They knew who Jesus was. And it didn't make a difference in their life. Real faith takes action. The third thing we see in our text is simply this. Genuine faith is victorious. Genuine faith is victorious. James closes out this, these verses by looking at verses 20 to 26 by looking at two individuals. Abraham and Rahab. Now Abraham is, is one of those go-to guys that all Jews know. Abraham is one of those guys that, hey listen, he's the trump card. If Abraham does it, and then, then that's who, who we, he's our poster child because Abraham is the father of many nations. And so James goes to that trump card and begins to talk about the faith of Abraham. And he says it was a credit to him because he believed. Now the story is there that he re reminds us of is the story of Isaac. Now, many of you know that story. Uh, James, uh, James tells that story. Abraham and Sarah hadn't had any children. And finally they have Isaac, their one and only. He is the, listen, he is the, he is the golden boy. Everything revolves around him. Abraham had had other children through other concubines, other women, that, that kind of thing. But he never had one with Sarah. And so, Isaac's born. Not long after Isaac's born, God says, hey, Abraham, yes, God, what would you like? I want you to take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him. I always love that. Because I think there's a good reason not, Abraham gives me reason not to tell my wife everything. Because I can't figure out that Abraham would have said, hey, Sarah, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take out our son and sacrifice him. Because I think Sarah would have let me sacrifice you right now. No, I'm just kidding. I tell my wife everything. Don't know. You don't need to testify. That's not a good time. He sacrifices him. I love the story. Isaac's carrying the wood. They have the knife. Dad, we have all the pieces. Where's the sacrifice? Son, God will provide. And yet we read nothing of Isaac getting nervous when his dad is putting him on that, that altar. 
We don't read where Isaac's going, hey, Dad, let's, let's talk about this for a moment. As he pulls the, the knife back. But then God says, Abraham, and he shows him the sacrifice. And the text tells us that it was a credit to him because Abraham believed. What did Abraham believe? Well, long before this moment, God had told Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. See the star, uh, stars in the sky? So will your ancestors be more than this. Abraham didn't know how all that was going to work out. But somewhere along the line, he believed that God was faithful. Genuine faith is victorious because it is victorious because we've put our trust in the God who is victorious. He sent his one and only son to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. God is victorious. And genuine faith understands that. Now, the second person is Rahab. And I love that James uses Rahab because we go from the father of many to the prostitute. Reminding us that God loves everyone. No matter how high and mighty or no matter how low you appear on the world standard. I mean, she makes it in the genealogy of Jesus. When the spies get to her place, they're looking, the men or the city are looking for them and will kill them. And she looks at the men and says, I know God has sent you. And I know God is, and is going to come. Promise me this, because I believe. Genuine faith is victorious. No matter if it's... If it's a moment in your life right now that you're wrestling with what to do, what happened, God is victorious. He will rescue you. No matter how low you think you are, no matter how, how the world looks at you, God loves you. God loves you. Genuine faith. So the world looks at the church, or many in the church, and many, many of the world wonders where the commitment is in the church. We laugh at the cartoon because we, we've tried to make, in some cases, the, the church look too much like the world. And we've allowed that to happen. The church has decided that, you know, we don't need commitments from members. What we just need is bodies. God's word gives us a completely different direction. He tells us that we're to love him completely, to obey his commandments, to be faithful to him. He tells us that our faith should live out loud and, and love one another and live for him. For several years, I was the chaplain of the Elizabethtown football team. During those times, we, we were, uh, for several years there, we were running for the state championship. Every, every time we practiced, and we ended our, 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 game, our, our practice, we'd gather in a huddle, and uh, 
one, two, three, and we'd say state champs. E-Town hadn't won a state championship, I believe, since the 60s. But every huddle, we broke state champs. At the end of every practice of the week, we ran uh, yards based on the number of points the opposing team got on us. So it didn't matter. During that time, we had three Division I players. One went on to play for, start for Alabama and win four national championships. The first year in the NFL won Super Bowl. Um, uh, the, other, the other two had highly successful careers. Uh, one started as quarterback at Auburn. Um, you know, highly successful careers for three. We had a great chemistry and a great team. And some weeks we would, uh, we'd be successfully winning the game early in the first half. And so we would put the second stream in, the second string in. And it might be during that second string that the opposing team would score. They might score, they might score two or three times. But it didn't matter at the end of the practice, whether you were a starter or a second string or a bench warmer, we all ran based on the points that were scored against us. That was our standard. That coach and some of that coaching staff left and went to a different school. A new coach comes in. We broke down one day on uh, state champs and he stopped that and said, no, we're going to do it this way. We quit running at the end of practices the number of yards um, that an opponent had scored on us. And so I asked, and the guy was a great guy, great, great Christian man. I said, Coach, tell me your philosophy, why, why we do this? Well, you know, the realistic, it's not realistic that we'll, we'll be state champs. And, and, you know, everybody scores, so why would we penalize our guys for somebody scoring on us? And it really was just a different philosophy that we were just going to accept people to score on us versus Let's hold them to zero. It really was a different philosophy to say our goal is no longer state champs. Our goal is beat this team. And, and, and it was interesting to see that makeup and that change in that t- those, those teams in the next couple years. God has set the standard for us to be holy, to reflect him. If he was here and he got us in a huddle, he'd say, holy on three. Because that would be our goal, is to be holy. And he would say, any sin is devastating. So you need to fight to keep any sin out of your life. And so if he was making us run on our sins, he'd have us line up on the line and run. Why? Because that's the standard. We can't become a light church or a light Christian. The standard is set. Be holy. Reflect him. And make much of him. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, if there's a decision on your heart, if there's something you want to pray for or pray about, I'll be here. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd love to to have a conversation with you. I'm here. Mike Thomason's right outside these doors. He'd love to to pray with you and talk to you. 
whatever the case may be today, would you respond to, to God? Father, in this